Okay, let's get started. Thanks everyone for joining and get straight into it. So we're talking about positioning yourself as an expert. And I'm going to share a slide deck and we'll keep going with that. So you may or may not have seen a version of this already, the evolution of the expert. So maybe, you know, 30 years ago, researchers were experts, then grad students became experts then reporters were the experts and now anyone on social media is an expert. And so I think we need, as academics, we need to keep up with that. Previously, you might've been an expert if you could get grants, write articles and do good academic presentations. And, and certainly if you wanna be an academic expert, that's definitely all you need to do. But if you wanna be an expert that perhaps is found by non-experts in your field, then I think um, you'll need to do more than just those three things. But those three things are still going to be the basis of success as an academic and what you might leverage your expertise off or from. Uh, so my name's Richard Heismans. Uh, if you already connected with me on LinkedIn, I'd love if you did. If you already connected there, maybe connect also on Twitter or Instagram if you're interested in seeing a few different posts. And if you're looking at what to do beyond your PhD and you know, um, deciding about career options or looking at different things, then joining the Facebook group is something you might want to do as well. Uh, some housekeeping. Uh, I want everyone to open their mic and their video. I like to see faces. It makes it much easier for me to present when I can see and interact with you. And I expect this to be interactive. Great. Mm -hmm. Thanks everyone. Awesome. Um, and then we are being recorded. So, just bear that in mind. If you're going to share a story, de-identify it, please. Uh, participation is the way you'll get the most out of this. Uh, I've already talked about opening your mic. We've only got 45 minutes. I won't go any longer than that. This, is an this isn't an academic presentation where we go longer than the allotted time. I will stick to the time. In fact, it might even go shorter if there are insufficient questions. I'm glad that all brought a smile to your face. I'm glad I've got the academic uh, genre fixed there. If you haven't already realized I talk really quickly and I can mumble as well. So if that happens, open your mic and say, Richard, it's taking away, you know, you're mumbling. I missed what you said, repeat. Um, and I can go over stuff. Finally, um, I've attributed everything that I've got from this to the people that I got it from, but if I haven't attributed it, generally that means it's my content. I'm okay with you sharing this far and wide. I'm going to do that. But if you do share it, I'd love if you acknowledged me or the other authors as the contributor to that. Um, a little bit about me. I started out as a researcher in a biomedical lab, and then I exchanged my uh, lab coat for a suit coat. And now I help researchers and PhD students figure out what they want to do next. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about you. Uh, we don't have to go right around the whole virtual room, but if you're keen on sharing, on, I am keen on hearing. Networking is the key to success, whether you're an academic or not. This is an opportunity to network. I presume some of these people are strangers to you. I don't know who's in the room, Richard. Okay. Oh, you can shoot better see, depending on, but um, is it Tarkham? Is that how I pronounce yeah. your name? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, I'm an academic. I've been yep. 32 years. And the word expert is rather um, contradictory concept but um yeah, yeah uh, when i began in academic life you, you could be an expert by virtue of uh, your skill knowledge not credentials yeah. or qualification <laughs> then the credential creep came 
interplay with masters as a minimum academic degree and then PhDs, etc. Yeah. I'm particularly interested in the area of indigenous knowledges, and that's where I work at Deakin University. And uh, of course, that's a non-traditional, yes, or that's a traditional way of knowing. I mean, it's traditional from Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, so they're experts in their knowledges, but yes. not very often fit. And uh, the academic world sees their research products through dance, drama, visual arts, story, narrative as uh, non-traditional research output. So it's rather paradoxical. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, I guess, from my perspective, this idea of positioning yourself as an expert, I'm particularly talking around outside the academic field. I definitely agree mm -hmm. that we're probably all experts here. And um, in the book that I wrote about this, um, I talk about that basically if you've done a PhD, you're probably an expert in something already. And now it's about letting uh, a different audience know that you are an expert. And I think the kinds of um, things that you just talked about then Park, when, you know, visual storytelling, auditory storytelling, you know, songs, etc. I think all of that really lends itself to good positioning as an expert on, um, on social media. So awesome. Anyone else want to share about themselves? Well, I guess I'm a zoologist, so I do work with mostly marine mammals, which I guess have a bit of public appeal. Um, yeah. So when I have papers come out, I tend to do a bit of media engagement around that. Um, so the idea of trying to work out how you become the person they contact when a media story happens. Yeah. That happens. So a whale strands, they need an expert. Hopefully they contact me. Yeah. <laughs> Beached whales, awesome. Okay, uh, we'll move on. So like I said just before, a lot of this comes from the, a book that I wrote called Connect the Docs. Um, if you'd like a copy of that, just type in book into the chat and I will get back in touch with you and arrange a complimentary copy out to you. Um, so obviously when we think about being an expert, the, the one thing that we need to start with is what are we an expert in? Um, so who knows, just by a show of hands, who knows what they are an expert in? Who could articulate that in a sentence or two? Bit of head wobbles, head nods. Who'd like to find out how they could work out what they're an expert in? Yeah, okay. So there's, in, there's four ways that, you, that I recommend. They're not the only ways, but here are four ways. So the first way is what's called a mind map. Um, again, show of hands, who knows what a mind map is? Who doesn't know? Cool. So a mind map is basically you start with a concept. So you might put in the center of a page, the word expertise, and then you might write a line off that and you might write what you know that you're an expert in. So if you do, um, let's say you do lots of qualitative surveys, then you might put that down. And then I don't know much about qualitative surveys, but let's say there are specific types of qualitative surveys. You'll write another line off that word qualitative surveys and write the specific types of surveys that you're an expert in. And you just constantly repeat that process. So line off expertise, write it is down that what you're expert in and keep going. And so you'll end up with a massive, you know, it looks like a lot of squiggles on a page, a mind map. Um, I've got a little bit of a, a digital version of that that I can show you. Um, I'll share my screen. So that's the top left there. That's kind of my mind map for some of my expertise. Um, the next thing you can do again, it's a similar idea is a word cloud. Um, so what people have done is get their article, get their grant, get their proposal, whatever it might be. And you can Google word cloud, 
chuck all those words from your just the text from those things into this word cloud generator and it will give you a count of all the different words that are in your um, document and then it will produce a colorful word cloud with the most frequent words being the biggest and the most colorful and so then that'll give you a bit of an indication of the kinds of thing that you're an expert in if you like tables and you like Excel, then maybe what you've got to do is type that all up. And sometimes that word cloud stuff can spit out a tab tabular form of that information. So that might be the way you go as well. The other thing, if you like sticky notes and putting them on the wall and moving them about, you can write your expertise down. But all of these essentially involve sitting around for a little bit of time, making some notes about the kinds of stuff that you do. And, it, and again, I've, I suggest people do time in motion studies a lot around career building. And I think this is a really useful time as well. So that a time in motion study might be where you, um, every half an hour, stop and write it down what you've just done. And then that'll give you a good understanding of the kinds of things that you're doing every single day. And then that'll give you a bit of an indication of the kinds of things you might be an expert in. Another way that you could work out what you're an expert in is, you know, what do people email and ask you for? Um, that, that'll be a good indication of what other people view you as an expert in. Does that give everyone enough kind of traction around their expertise and understanding uh, what they're an expert in? Show of hands, yes, no, maybe, cool. All right. Um, so once you've understand what you're an expert in, the next thing is to work out who cares. So Tarquin already said uh, he's interested in uh, Aboriginal Australians, Indigenous Australians, but who cares about um, his expertise in that area? Obviously they do, I, I presume they do, they may not, they do, um, yeah. But who else cares, you know, who knows who cares? Like David mentioned about beached whales. Um, so the general public is interested in whales not beaching. Um, but who is interested in preventing the beaching? I, I don't know. David, can you tell me who's interested in that? Uh, well, there's the government departments that are responsible for the cleanup. There's yep. the people that are interested in the animals themselves. And then there's the public, which can be all sorts of different directions of interest. Yeah. Um, the whale lovers to the people that are caring about welfare to the people that are caring about whales getting in the road of their cruise ships and all the rest. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. All sorts of directions. Yeah. And sharks is the other one. Like everyone's worried about sharks. They either love them or they hate them. Hate them. <laughs> but that's always newsworthy. Yeah. And so again, knowing who cares is really important for positioning yourself as an expert because you need to know who you need to get in front of to say I'm an expert in. So if we use David's example and we talk about all these publics with different interests, if David wants those publics to th think of him as an as an expert, he's got to engage them in some way. So there might be on Instagram, a hashtag called shark lovers. And if there is every time David talks about sharks, he'll want to tag, he'll want to put that hashtag in his um, Instagram post. Or if there's a whale lovers one, or if there's a wildlife lovers one, you know, you need to investigate. Hold on. Sorry. Wild Oz. Wild Oz. There you go. So he already knows the one. Awesome. So uh, I don't know. Does anyone else have any examples of who they want to be um, considered an expert in front of? Other than Tarquin and David, who we've already kind of helped out. Hi, everyone. My name is Stephanie. I just finished uh, my PhD. I um, actually work with Bryony, who's also on the call here. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> we're looking at my my specific area is women with polycystic ovary syndrome developing intervention programs. So I suppose my target would be um, obviously women with PCOS, but also um, women wanting to conceive who have PCOS and um, governments as well, because um, yeah, in terms of health and that's all I know, I think. I haven't actually yeah. thought about this. You haven't or you have? You haven't. Yeah. So again, in the same way that we listed our expertise using a word cloud or a mind map or a table in Excel or a bunch of sticky notes or asking friends, you can do the same process for documenting who cares um, for your research. Or, and then if you don't know the answer to who cares, then you need to ask the question, who needs to know? So if you don't already know someone does care, then you might ask the question, who needs to know? So you mentioned a few then, Stephanie, about government and people with poly, polycystic ovaries. Is that what you said? Yep. Um, but also health professionals, particularly yep. dietitians, exospediologists, yep. maybe intervention designers. Yep. So knowing that information is really powerful because then you can start to look for ways that you can get in front of those people. Because um, if you don't know who cares, then you're always potentially in front of the wrong audience or you're just tweeting out with no specific idea of what hashtag you want to put. So, you know, Oz Wildlife is great, but if you really do want to get in front of all the whale watchers, maybe using a whale specific hashtag is far more relevant than Oz Wildlife. Um, and the same with, with you, Stephanie, like if you think about, I, I've got no idea about the disease and clearly I'm not a female, so I... I probably very no continue to know very little but you know if is our dietitians the main go-to you know is it obstetricians and gynecologists is it um i don't know physiotherapists i really don't know you know who would be reproductive specialists who would need to know this information and getting more specific will make it easier to work to get to become seen as an expert in front of those audiences does anyone need any more help or advice or ideas on how to understand who cares or who needs to know? No one's got a hand up? Cool. So the next thing you need to understand is what problem are you solving for them? So I agree that um, whale watchers don't like beached whales or maybe they do because it makes it easier to see. I don't know. Um, so then but the, what problem are you solving for them by preventing whales from getting beached or being the expert on TV who can, or in the media or whatever that can help them uh, around beached whales? Um, does anyone have an example of the kind of problems that they already know that they solved for, for an end audience other than an academic audience? No, who, who's, who's, uh, who's got a, who knows who their end audience is? I guess you can have lots of different end audiences yep. depending on what question you're addressing at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie, uh, you opened your mic. Um, so I suppose the end would be, um, uh, so we looked at a clinic already uh, happening at Monash Health and, mm -hmm. um, so we changed the, the, the uh, program of the clinic and got in following my PhD. So that impacts the physicians in that clinic, but also women attending the service. Yeah. So if we think about those physicians, so the, the value that you might provide to them is that they get to then be um, 
themselves experts in front of their patients or not even better than that. I imagine if you're trying really hard to have a, to conceive a child and you can't because of polycystic ovaries, then if you have the solution to the problem as a physician and the physician got that from you, the expert, like that would feel awesome for you and the physician would feel awesome. And even better, we have really happy um, parents. So, you know, the idea of knowing why someone wants you or your needs, your expertise is really important too, because just telling them I'm an expert is not going to convince them that you're an expert. You need to know the problem that you solve for them. David. Um, so one thing I think as well is there's sort of two directions um, in what I've been looking at. Mm -hmm. So there's the, expertise that I have that I can share. Say I publish a paper and I do my research program and I'm trying to engage people with that program. Yeah. The thing that I'm more unclear how you work out is how to be the expert. So when something happens in the news or something else happens, that's topical. Yeah. And then the media in particular are trying to find someone to comment on that. Yeah. Um, how you become the, I guess the go-to Tim Flannery yeah. is the person you go to for almost every topic even when he's not the appropriate person yeah. that is he's the expert in the environmental space. People yes. Um, so it's sort of, there's a two directions of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there is. I agree. So um, well, basically the short answer is um, search engine optimization with keywords that you want to be known for. Um, so going back to that example that we used before about the hashtags that, that are relatable, so let's say you, everything that you put out might have the hashtag whale in it. And so then when someone Googles beached whale or maybe even get even more specific and go beached whale, right? Beached whale, everything you do has that. And, you know, on your website, you mentioned beached whale lots of times. You write articles about saving beached whales, even when they're not beached in the, in the news. Um, then when someone Googles beached whale expert, you come up as the person it's, it's about being top of the search essentially on Google to be found. And there are things that you can use to help achieve that. The ones that I already talked about are social media. So making sure that you're active on social media with these keywords that you want to be known as an expert for. So if you go back to your word cloud, if that's 10, a hundred or a thousand words big, that's a thousand and a hundred might be hard to use, but the top 10 are probably more feasible to use all the time. And then, so that's on social media. And then the other thing that, you know, if you're already employed at a university, and I know some people here are in various stages of employment, but if you've got a university page that is about you or, you know, a page at the university that says, ask an expert, you need to work out how you get onto that ask an expert page for those 10 terms that you feel that you're an expert in, because they rank really highly on Google when you, when you do a search for um, expert in beached whales or expert in indigenous arts or expert in um, polycystic ovary. Um, the other place that ranks really highly in Google is um, LinkedIn and you have a lot more scope to include a lot more keywords on say LinkedIn than you might on social, other social media channels like Twitter, etc. cetera. Um, and then, I agree with you, David, as well. How do you get them to find you? It is know who, who is the them, if that makes sense. So who are the media commentators that are um, talking about, or who are the health reporters in for your case, Stephanie? Who are the indigenous reporters, Tarkham? Who are the um, wildlife reporters? They fired all of them. Sorry? 
they fired all of the science reporters. <laughs> they, they don't exist anymore. Yeah, so then <laughs> is there a, well, well, who's the science reporter? No, literally they fired them. So there's are no you, science reporter. There is no there are, science reporter. There are for some of the media organisations. Yeah. But um, yeah, the person who used to be with The Age left a little while ago. And yeah. yeah, a lot of them have gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's clear that you know who's in the field though, right? And so that's really useful. And then I would, you know, it sounds like maybe you could be friendly or you're friendly enough with them to know that they got fired. So you might send a condolence letter. Sorry to hear. I feel your pain. I'm in academia. We treat our staff like crap too. Um, and then start up a dialogue with those people just in, just in general. So I'll, I'll come to it a bit later, but I was going to talk about the whole idea of positioning yourself and as an expert is a content strategy. So you've got to put content out into the wild that shows that, you know, this stuff. And unfortunately successful grants and successful peer reviewed publications aren't sufficiently wild and sufficiently accessible enough for the general public audience including generally reporters, even if they are science reporters, for them to think of you as an expert. It's too, it's too hard for them to understand your expertise. You've got to speak in a language that they understand, which is why knowing what your expertise is and who cares or who might care or who might have their problem solved by you is really important because you can start using their language. Um, so as I've already touched on, I think the place to start positioning yourself as an expert is on social media. And so this is not meant to be uh, using social media in this sense, isn't meant to be a sales pitch of how good you are. Um, but it is meant to be a, a showcase of what it is that you've done. So in the same way you might publish a peer reviewed journal article and you don't think of that as selling, yourself to other academics as an expert you think of that as i don't know part of being an academic or maybe you think of that as part of positioning yourself as an academic expert publishing good stories about you about your good work on social media is essentially the same thing but to a general audience it says i can do this okay who publishes any of their sciencey stuff on social media, just to show of hands, like, you know, you're an article or something like that. Yep. How many, how many posts would you generally get out of one article? One, one social, how many social media posts would you get out of one article? Like you've got fingers. You can give me a number Four. someone's got four or five, one. Cool. So I reckon 10, 10 from each article. That's what you should be aiming for. Yeah. I try to have like, a week of scheduled posts that come out with each article. And then I do the conversation. So you have like your article and then the popular account of it. And then yes, link both of those and you have them all with the, um, the, what do you call it? The uh, DOI. DOI. So yeah. So does everyone know what a DOI is? I read recently that some um, fields don't have DOIs attached to their journal publications. Some in, some in the arts and humanities and social sciences. Um, but if you do have a DOI for your publication, include that across all of them as well. So who, who does what David does and publish, has a week of scheduled social media conversation article and a journal article? Cool. So David's up against Pat, well, who did you say? Um, Who's, who's the popular scientist? He was Australian oh, of the Year. Flannery. Yeah. So David's up against 
Flannery. So he's got a big, you know, like a big figure to try and, you know, compete with for airspace. But if you don't have a Flannery equivalent, find out who it is in your field and see what they do. How did they get to be where they are? So Flannery was Australian of the year. I think he did some good research before he was Australian of the year. Um, yeah. So what social, how many social media channels are you on people? Show me a number on your hands. Two, two, one, two, three, three. <laughs> Other people here know my feelings on ResearchGate. Um, so if you can be on more channels, do that and then work out what you want to do on each channel. So, so this is how I would recommend a researcher use those three. Facebook is where you connect to your general public audience. Join a group that is, in the case of David, about saving whales, in the case of Tarquin, about indigenous um, artifacts and culture, in the case of Stephanie, about um, polycystic ovaries. You're mute, you're mute or I can't hear you. You're going to type in the chat and I'll pick it up in a sec. Um, so I'll just keep talking. When I see the chat pop up, I'll answer the question or respond. So Facebook is uh, groups. The next one is, uh, I don't want to step up my middle finger. The next one in uh, Twitter is really about connecting with academics. Um, public health methods. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so then that may, you'll definitely be able to find groups like that focus on um, in, in Facebook, no doubt. Deb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then it, Twitter would be where you'd hang out with your academic friends. And so when you're having trouble understanding perhaps where your expertise is, you might write on Twitter, I do all these things. What would you consider me an expert in? And someone like Deborah would say, I know it's public health expertise. Um, and you know, you can go from there. Uh, you might also put your methodological questions up there. If you want to connect with the people that are currently the public face of your area in research, do that. Um, and notwithstanding journalists have been um, slashed and burned over the last few months and years, connecting with your, the journalists that are interested in your area on Twitter is a really useful thing to do as well, to position yourself as an expert to them. Um, so the easiest way to get them to follow you is to follow them first and then tag them in relevant tweets or engage with them on, in a conversation on Twitter when they ask a question or raise an issue or if they write something that you want to engage with, engage with them on that. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but I wouldn't um, bag them out either. But a robust debate is definitely okay in my view. And I don't think it would be bad to engage them in a discourse as long as we're sticking to the topic and not slagging people off. The final place, LinkedIn. If you want to be an expert to industry partners, I think LinkedIn is the place to, to go to do that. So not necessarily for policy, I think policy might be easier to talk about and discuss in a Facebook group, but you might be able to talk about policy on LinkedIn, but health policy I'm thinking of particularly for you, um, Stephanie. Jacqueline, there are qualitative research methods and quantitative research methods groups on LinkedIn, but I've found LinkedIn groups are just really, really inactive. Um, no matter what I do, I can't get a LinkedIn group to get more active. And um, I've engaged with people in LinkedIn groups for weeks and months, and I'm still the only person chatting 
and no one else is posting any additional stuff. It's still the same two people. So that, that's the only problem that I have with LinkedIn groups, but getting one-to-one -one interactions around the work that you do from an industry perspective is useful on LinkedIn, but you need to get more specific than I just want to connect with industry. You've got to think about what industries and, and then even if you want to go down to not just what industry, but what are the companies who works for them and what their role will be. And then the good thing about LinkedIn, you can go and straight away ask for a connection request with those people and say why you're interested in, in being connected with them. And you can be as upfront as you like. I do research in um, uh, women's health and you are a policy advisor in women's health. I'd like to be connected with you. That's it. Um, yeah. Just don't expect much from Dan Andrews. He connected with me and then never responded to any of my questions. So don't do that. Um, make sure that if someone asks you a question that you respond. Are there any questions on that bit? Um, cool. So the, the last couple of things I want to cover is one, if you can give public lectures, do that. Um, if you get an opportunity to give one, speak in public, do it. If someone asks you, can you speak, you can do it. Don't be afraid to talk about a speaking fee. Professional speakers all get paid you're an academic, it's okay. You don't get paid well by the university. So you can ask other people to pay you better. I'm glad I see some smiling faces on that. Um, the other thing that you shouldn't, you're bearing in mind in all of this, I'm not telling you to sell. So I'm not telling you to go out there and tell people how awesome you are. I'm just telling you to tell people that here are some answers to some questions you have or might have. And that's the value of like joining a Facebook group and answering questions or seeing them post a question that you know what the answer is. Because then they're not asking you, are you an expert? You just get, they ask a question and you get to answer it. And that this is what's called a content strategy. Who's heard of thought leadership? So, so Google thought leadership, there's lots of wanky and less wanky articles out there. Um, the whole idea is that you, you, you become an expert in a field by putting out articles and opinion pieces that are well-reasoned. So that idea of being well-published in the conversation is a good strategy for someone who can get their articles published in the conversation. So if you have a university affiliation, generally you can, it's easier than if you don't have a university affiliation. But if you don't publish those pieces on either a blog that you run yourself or on LinkedIn, who's got their own website? I think David does. Sai, is that how I pronounce your name? Uh, my name is Sinyi, S-Y is just the oh. initial. Okay, Sinyi, yeah. So um, Sinyi, uh, you've got a website, tell us a bit about it. Um, it's more like a profile. Um, yep. It's not exactly a duplicate of my university profile page or, mm -hmm. or research gate, but I like the flexibility that I have in terms of how I organize content and how much detail I want to put in. And mm -hmm. I can also publish blog posts from mm -hmm. time to time. Yeah. So that's a really good reason to have your own website. You can control everything about it and you can point your web page, your research gate, your LinkedIn to all of those pages. Uh, and then you can also manage the search engine optimization. So going back to those keywords, you can make sure they appear. David? I guess web pages, I have a bit of a sore topic with. 
go, um, go for I've it. Never, I've never really had any active engagement. And I guess I've had a web page running for, I don't know, five or six years. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of engagement through Twitter and through other things, um, even Facebook groups. But the web page is sort of something that I pay for that I don't feel like I've really got any value out of. Okay. Um, and whereas like I have like a university profile, like on yep. the Monash webpage and yeah, I think people see that that's the first thing that comes up, but like a personal webpage that isn't affiliated with a big organization. And I guess it's almost the same with having a blog attached to that. Mm -hmm. I suppose if I, if I did have a blog attached to that, you would then tweet out those blog articles and that's a way of having a place to put something to then go from. Um, but yeah, I guess I specifically chose to go down the conversation route so that I would have, um, I could do the work and put it on someone else's site and essentially run off their prestige and having that. Yeah. I don't know what the value really of having a blog is because anyone can have a blog. So yeah. I don't know how much you actually get from that. But the Anyone can have Twitter. Anyone can do anything. Like I put at the start, you know, and I don't like to use the word Karen, because it's a bit, it's, it's un, an unfair um, uh, put down of females. It doesn't need to be, it could be, you know, I could say Keith and Karen, because there are stupid blokes as well. But this idea of everyone now on social media is an expert, right? And I totally agree with you. Anyone can have a website. Um, Sinyi, what do you find as the value for your website? How have you, have, what are you, what's your response back to David? I think it's just one of the multiple platforms that you can have. Uh, it's similar to like your, your Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn and you can just connect everything together. You might post something on social media and point it back to your website as a holding place. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that was the first thing I did. Like when I decided to like, when I was finishing the PhD and thinking about applying for postdocs, the first thing I did is I created a web page so that if people search for me, I would have a thing there. Um, but then nothing ever seems to have come of it. Whereas yeah. I've got huge numbers of collaborations that have led to papers and things through Twitter. Um, yeah. So I feel like Twitter has been a raging success and the web page has been a dud except <laughs> I pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone else have any questions or comments on the web page thing? My view is that you, it's low cost. I don't know, David, you could, if you want to disclose how much you pay for your website. Um, oh, it's a square pace, a square space one. So I think it's 120 bucks a year or something. Including so not, hosting and the URL. Fee? Uh, I think they're all like, I don't know, 20 and $5. Yeah. On top. But yeah, like it's not disastrous until you're unemployed. And so, <laughs> yeah. And then everything's a problem. So yeah. I'd say a couple of things. What my thing is, are you promoting it? So if you're not promoting it, no wonder no one's going there. And then what's the goal once people get there? So is the goal to contact you? Is the goal to see you as an expert? And so, you know, I know that you've probably got web traffic and you can see who visits and maybe that number is zero or close to zero every, every day and every week. But if you're not tweeting out or posting links, then why would people just randomly visit it? Yeah, this is true. I mean, so my only real rationale for doing it in the first place was to put a whole lot more content than you can put into a CV or cover letter. Yeah. And you can, when you're giving that to someone in particular, they can click on that link and get more. essentially have free reign 
to give them whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and arguably for that purpose, maybe it's been worthwhile. Um, but yeah, I just think it's interesting. I found the other platforms a lot better. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, I have like a hate-hate relationship with. I've just never got my head around it. But I think that's pretty <laughs> typical of academics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, LinkedIn requires a lot of effort and activity to maintain, I think. And, you know, the way that the platform's set up means that it's, it's not easy to do that initially. Mm. There's a high cost of entry, perhaps. Um, so... One of the so one of the things I said was you know look up thought leadership and the whole idea is a content strategy. So if you're creating lots of content, then if you have a website, you can store a lot of the content there. So you can have your Twitter feed in there if that's what you want to do. You can put your Instagram feed up there as well. Uh, you can do videos that live there rather than somewhere else. If you do lots of videos, I would definitely encourage you to have a YouTube channel as a way of storing all that content because then it, it lives on forever and then you can also control that content. So one of the reasons why I like a web page is you get to control it. So I had a, a meeting the other day with someone who was um, interviewed for a, an article on a news um, story and she later found out how it was presented and didn't like how it was presented. And so the option that you have on your own website is to put the news story up and then just put a comment and say, not that you didn't like how it was presented, but here's what you meant when you were interviewed and here's your take on what you were saying. So you can put some more context that you'll never get an opportunity anywhere else to put. So that control might be useful, particularly if you want to be positioned as an expert and then your website has to have a call to action. It has to say, call me if you want to talk about beached whales or call me if you want to talk about falling pregnant, if you've got polycystic ovaries or call me if you want to um, create an indigenous artwork or art piece, or call me if you want to talk about improving your services response to indigenous Australians. Um, the other thing that is useful for a website and also LinkedIn um, because they're long lived in, in a way that your Twitter feed perhaps isn't, is to capture the compliments that people say about you that relate to your um, positioning. And this is called social proof. So if someone says, like if, if you did a media piece, David, you could put that up on your website and that's social proof that you can do media. If someone says you're a good lecturer or a good tutor or a good public speaker, you can put that up as proof that you are good at public speaking. And even if it is the students that you teach, so all of that goes up as social proof as a reason. And that again, can all live on your website and be a why people might contact you, why people might engage you. Okay. Um, I've got one minute left. So this is, it's been a whirlwind tour of positioning yourself as an expert. Um, I've got a group coaching program starting in August. If you want to be part of that and kind of do that for 12 months, uh, type coaching into the chat and I will get you out all of the details for that. If you're interested in publishing your journal article, uh, I'm, doing a, I'm starting a program in August as well called Writing Your Journal Article in 12 Weeks. It's based on the book by Wendy Belcher of exactly the same name. That's $120. If you wanna join type um, article into the, um, uh, the chat and I'll get to you. Uh, and then if you want a copy of my book, chuck that in, chuck book into the chat and I'll get that to you. If you're interested in developing LinkedIn, 
uh, I have a LinkedIn program to type LinkedIn into the chat and I'll get a uh, complimentary access to that. And finally, if you don't know what coaching is and you're wondering how that might value you, provide some value to you i'm happy to give you a complimentary session so if you're interested in coaching like i said type in coaching and i'll get all the information out and set you up with a complimentary session um cool thanks everyone for being involved it's exactly 115 i didn't go over time not an academic have fun stay in touch take care thank you bye thank you bye.